467 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, and he's Ben Lindbergh. How are you, Ben? Okay. Uh, Manny Machado apologized, uh, so presumably, uh, I guess he will not be lying. So I, <laughs> that's that's good. I feel good about that. His soul uh-huh. is clean. Uh, let's see. Um, I did like that while he was apologizing... He snuck in that he thought that the tag was a little aggressive. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, good. <laughs> good to keep bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the uh, Matt uh, Lecroy or LaCroix? I can't remember. He's been so gone so long. Matt, Matt LaCroix. I, mm-hmm. I always pronounce it LaCroix. Mm. I said LeCroy, I think. Yeah. Did you see the thing about his mayonnaise and banana sandwiches? Saw a headline, didn't click. So uh, he... Apparently, he, okay, so I'm just going to read it. Okay, Earlier in the season when the Nationals were struggling through injuries and inconsistent play and before the current hot streak, LaCroix turned to a traditional southern delicacy before games to snap the team out of its rut, a banana and mayonnaise sandwich on white bread. Quote, a lot of people were hurting in the beginning and we needed some big wins, so I thought, I got to go with the banana and mayonnaise. The Nationals are 5-0 and on days when he eats the sandwich before the game, a fact that the jovial LaCroix is proud of. I I like this because it is not explained why he thought that this was going to snap them out of the rut. Mm-hmm. It's not like like if he were eating if he had just started eating it and they had won and so he did it the next day and they had won and he did it the next day and they won. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. That that's how baseball superstitions work. You're right. just doing something. That, but like for some reason, out of the billions of things he could have chosen to do slightly different. He chose this, and it's not explained why he chose this. Is there? It's a traditional Southern delicacy. Is it a traditional Southern slump buster? Is that mm. is that part of what it it is known for? It's not clear. Um, I gotta go with the banana and mayonnaise. <laughs> he knew immediately. <laughs> I got yeah. He looked outside, saw the team losing, and said, "I gotta go with the banana and mayonnaise." But the best part of this I, is what Aaron Gleeman uh, noted about it, um, which is. That Lacroix, they're only Baseball five. Baseball reference and o. says it's Lacroix. Lacroix. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're only five and zero on days when he eats the sandwich before the game, which means that in over the course of the two months that he's had this secret weapon, he's only used it five <laughs> times. Yeah. Uh, as Gleeman notes, he doesn't eat the sandwich every day because he doesn't want it to lose the special ability it has to get the Nationals victories. Just <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, all right. Uh, I have one more thing before we get going. Do you have anything else? Nope. Go ahead. All right. Uh, my my one more thing is I want to sneak in a play index if I oh, if I can. Cool. Sure. Um, so this is a this was actually a request uh, from a listener named Sean, uh, and it's somewhat timely, and so I thought I'd get it in there quick. Uh, going into Friday's games, Troy Tulowitzki had a 5.12 batting average at home on the season. It's actually exactly 500 right now. What is the most played appearances in a given split with a batting average over 500? It's a good question, right? Mm-hmm. I like that question. Uh, so I thought I would find out. So I went to uh, Baseball Reference Split Finder. And it's, you know, it's tricky because uh, a lot of things that 
um, a lot of the splits, none of the good players would get. Uh, I mean, basically, if you if you get 350 plate appearances, you're not going to do it. It's just you, you have no chance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the home road one, well, you know, the good players have 350, so they're basically excluded. So anyway, I went through every split to see if I could find the, the most plate appearances in any split. So any split is allowed except for splits where the success or failure of the player is intrinsic, as in uh, team wins is not a split I was willing to look at. Uh Um, Similarly, anything that actually describes the hit instead of the circumstances is not allowed. So uh, online drives is not allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to the pole field is Mm -hmm. not allowed. Those sorts of things. On home runs. For instance, not allowed. Um, so I just went through and I just did every single every single split <laughs> that I could. Uh, but similarly, by the way, three zero count, not allowed. Um, uh-huh. However, you know, two outs would be allowed. For instance, mm. Two outs doesn't significantly change the hitting environment. Uh, all right, so I went through and did them all. So uh, I'm going to start from from the bottom on uh, on the road. Terrell Lowry who is Grant Frisbee's favorite giant ever, hit 500 in 31 plate appearances. So that's mm-hmm. as high as you can go on the road. Nobody has ever hit higher than 500 with more than 31 plate appearances on the road. Okay. Jesus Montero, 36 plate appearances at home is the highest for at home. Uh-huh. Gil Hodges, 500 plate appearances, uh, 500 in 41 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. So that's as high as you can go in a lefty-righty platoon split. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Those are all tough ones because, like I said, um, you know, Stan Musial never had only 70 or 80 plate appearances against righties, so he's basically excluded. So uh, now we're going to go into the ones where good players could conceivably appear. So uh, Jimmy Fox hit 561 in 59 plate appearances in St. Louis in 1939 <laughs> in the ballpark. So we're now up to 59 in St. Louis. Okay. Uh, Tony Gwynn hit 541. Leading off an inning <laughs> in 70 plate appearances in 1994. Mm-hmm. So we're up to 70. Uh, against gra- I, I wasn't sure whether I should count this one, but it's not the winner, so I did. Against ground ball pitchers, Reggie Jefferson hit 500 <laughs> in 1996 in 81 plate appearances. Uh-huh. So we're up to 81. Two outs and runners in scoring position. Mm. Pete Rose, 500 in 85 plate appearances. Wow. That's a good one. That's mm-hmm. you know he milked that one. You know, <laughs> even though there was no baseball reference and there was no such thing as splits, you know that some press, some yes. writer kept that must have been a story mm-hmm. and told Pete, and Pete milked it. <laughs> you know, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ninety-three plate appearances. Tony Gwynn, third time against a pitcher uh-huh. <laughs> in ninety-four. <laughs> so the third time against the starting pitcher, he hit five thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so then, um, so then, uh, 108 plate appearances against the St. Louis Browns in 1936. Joe DiMaggio hit 525 in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not in St. Louis, but that is uh, against St. Louis. Uh, 108, and then we, finally we get to George Sisler, who hit 526 in the month of June in 1920. <laughs> 131 plate appearances. That's the record. George Sizzler, 1920, barely counts as baseball, as you know. 
Right. Uh, I go back and forth on 1920, whether <laughs> right. that's part of it. Mm-hmm. 21, probably yes, but 20, really tough call. <laughs> so uh, the modern, the modern for months would would be the very modern for months would be Todd Helton in May 2000, who uh, had 102 plate appearances. Uh-huh. So uh, so I tell you all that so that you guys can root for Troy Tulowitzki, who mm-hmm. uh, if he can keep it up at home would blow past that record. But keep an eye out if you find any others that are worth rooting for as the season goes on. Uh, we'll root for them. Uh, all right. So Ben. Yes. I, want, I want to ask you about the Tampa Bay Rays. Please um, do. Uh, Rob Nyer this week um, wrote an article at Fox Sports uh, with the headline, The Rays 2014 is lost, dot, 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 and maybe they're 2015 too. Uh, do you um, – I, I think it's fair to conclude that their 2014 is lost. Um, I would not, say so. It's not a certainty. Uh, it's only been two years since the Oakland A's had – a three-week run at zero on our playoff odds report, and still mm-hmm. won, still made the playoffs. Uh, but you know the Rays' odds are um, down to two point seven percent to make the playoffs, and that uh, was before their most recent loss, which is their their what thirteenth in in fourteen games. Good point. So tomorrow yes. they'll be at around one percent. They're, yes. they're as out of it as anybody. Let's, yes. let's go down. They, they were if, they had the fifth lowest playoff percentage heading into. Monday, uh, so, only the only the Astros, of course. Padres, uh, Cubs, Phillies, and Astros. Mm-hmm, yes. So real quick, let's uh, if the Rays are out of it, are we saying that the Padres, Cubs, Phillies, and Astros are also out of it? I'm comfortable doing that. Okay, I'm going to keep going up the list until we stop saying that that mm-hmm. teams are out of it. Uh, okay. The New York Mets, four point nine percent out of it. Done. Texas Rangers, nine point four percent. Oh, sorry, Chicago White Sox, eight point one percent. Done. Minnesota Twins, 9.4%. Done. Texas Rangers, 9.4%. I would act as if I were done, if I were the Texas Rangers, I think. Miami Marlins, uh, no. Kansas City Royals, 10.2%. No. Okay. And so then Marlins, 12.5%. Do you, would would you Uh, go? I'll... I'll let them stay in it for the moment. Okay, so we'll say that everybody over 10 is, is in it. All right, so mm-hmm. uh, so then let me ask you this. Do the Rays have a better than 10% chance of winning in 2015? I would say so, yes. Um, I mean, looking at their looking at their roster, I have their, their COTS contracts page up and the, the nice convenient page where you can look at any team's payroll obligations over the next several seasons. And the Rays aren't really losing anyone from this team, which right now right now doesn't seem like a great thing because this team is not playing particularly well. But we thought heading into the year that it was a great thing. We thought we thought the Rays would be among the best teams in baseball this year, as they, they have been for the last several years. So And and if I can interrupt, sure. furthermore, we expect the Rays to win more games in the AL East than any other team from this date forward. Uh-huh. We actually we actually have them having the highest expected winning percentage in the AL East going mm-hmm. forward, which mm-hmm. it won't be that won't be enough. Yeah. but we still think that they're the best team. Right. So that's the thing they have. Cuts lets you look at who's going to be a free agent when, and on their page right now, the only guy who is listed as being a free agent after this year is Eric Bedard. and that's that's about it. And then the year after that, of course, there's Price and. Uh, uh, well, Price mostly, and then some other guys, Jose Molina and um, 
Matt Joyce, I guess, is also a free agent after that year. Grant Balfour, yeah, but, who might not make it until then, but but what, uh, and price 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 probably won't make it until then, right? I mean, price isn't right. a free agent until after next year, but realistically, he probably won't be there in 2015, and that could be the case for other players too. It could, yes. Yeah. So if they wanted to, if they had the payroll room to keep everyone together and to pay price, he's making what 14 million this year, and he's going into another year of arbitration, so it's it's going to go up. So if they if they somehow had the money to pay him that much, I, I assume that would be the highest salary they've ever paid a player for a single season. I think Price's salary might now right now might be. So if they were to keep the whole band together, then then they would go into next year probably as as a contender, right? I mean, we thought they were going into this year. Of course, they've had the injuries to to pitchers, significant injuries, Helixson and uh, and Moore and Archer and, and all these people. So if they came into next year fully healthy and, and maybe Will Myers hits and doesn't miss time and, and all the things that we thought would go right this year went right then, then then presumably they would begin the year as a as a strong contender again. So the question is, yeah, can they afford to keep it together or not even can they afford to, but will they decide that they should because they're always weighing what the best thing is for them long term and if it makes sense to to sell someone now in order to replenish the system. And you can certainly make a case that, that now is a pretty good time for that. Well, but so, okay, so this is always a tricky time in, in assessing a team against their projections because the thing that Pakoda does really well that, that we don't uh, is hold firm, um, you know, regress to the mean, not overreact to small samples. On the other hand, what we do really well that Pakoda doesn't is uh, notice changes in players' true talent levels uh, more quickly than Pakoda can. So is there nobody on this team that you have radically reassessed at this point, that you think is not the player that we thought they were at the beginning of the year, and that Pakoda thinks that they mostly are now. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not really concerned about Evan Longoria not hitting so well. I'm not not really that worried about Will Myers long term. Um, so I guess maybe maybe Ben Zobrist, just because he is, you know, kind of at that age where. Players go through their steepest decline, and he declined a bit last year. So, uh, you know, if we're not going back five years or whatever it is that Pakoda is looking, then you can can certainly paint a, a picture of a declining Ben Zobrist. And um, I mean, I guess you could you could make that case about Price, I suppose. Although he has just had an incredible, you know, peripherals. I mean, his strikeout rate, his walk rate are phenomenal. I guess he's not throwing quite as hard, but who is? Um, not but, you and me. No, we lost Tell our fastballs lost quite a while fast. ago. <laughs> yeah. So I can't really say that I'm all that worried about these guys because, I mean, some of them, you know, like Longoria and Jennings and Myers are not really at an age where where you worry about a, a big decline from people. And and the pitchers are, are still mostly young, at least I mean, the ones who have contributed, the ones who have hurt, who are hurt also. So, I, I don't know. Is there anyone that you have really reevaluated? Uh, no, probably not. And I think that that's, um, uh, well, I mean, relievers, but yeah, mm-hmm. otherwise, otherwise, no. And 
um, the Jose other thing, Malina, maybe we we talked about him not we long do, ago, and it's it's getting worse. <laughs> it's it's not, actually getting uh, worse, not better. Not good. No. I thought about saying Jose Molina, but <laughs> still, still no extra base hits. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and we should know that the fact that they that Pakoda projects them to win more games than any team going forward in the AL East uh, again does not include Matt Moore and does not include Helixson. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at their pitching staff, um, their starting pitchers in particular, uh, and every pitcher is is underperform. Every pitcher except well, even Bedard, but forget Bedard. Every pitcher is is uh, underperforming his FIP. Uh, every pitcher's FIP is better than his ERA, and really significantly so in in most of the cases. I mean, with with Odorizzi, it's more than two runs. With Price, it's just about a run. With with Cobb, it's nearly a run, and with uh, Archer, it's about a half a run or a third of a run. Um, and so all these guys, I mean, really, when you think about it, if I name those four and then I give you more next year, Matt Moore next year, I'm not sure that there are two rotations in the American league that I like more than that rotation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but then of course, um, it makes you wonder what's up with the defense because that was always, a well, that is at various points been a staple of the Rays Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you. I don't know. I don't know that it's. I don't know if it's uh, a real problem or not. They have good defend. They have guys who are known for being good defenders, mm-hmm. especially in the infield. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not this year, so that's a problem. That's not easy to fix necessarily. Mm-hmm. It might be. It's easy for that to regress, I guess, but it's not easy for it, you know, to fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've talked about, or I don't know, I've written about. Other people have talked about the the lack of talent seemingly coming through the pipeline, the lack of success in the draft in recent years. Um, Kylie McDaniel was talking about this with Jim Callis on his podcast before the draft, and he was saying that he he was speaking to someone with a team who had some some sort of objective ranking of success in the draft, and the Rays were dead last over, over some recent period since they got good and stopped having you know the number one pick in certain years. Um, and they don't have a very strong farm system. At least they, they didn't rank very highly in our farm system rankings coming into the year. Right now, uh, they only had two top 101 prospects on the list. Uh, one of them, I think, was Odorizzi, and he's up. So the only other one was, is Eni Romero, um, who was toward the bottom of the list and, and has pitched very poorly this year in AAA. So not a lot of great talent coming through the system some some lower minors talent i think but not a lot that you really project them to to arrive and help the team next year or even necessarily the year after so i guess that that's the question if they wanted to keep the team together next year if they wanted to and if and if they could afford to then then maybe that team would be good but then are they in a tough spot after that where they, they've held on to everyone that they could have turned into prospects like Price and like their other veterans on this team. Um, and they've they've missed out on that opportunity to cash them in and replenish as they've done with other veterans in the past. So for the purposes of sustaining this, this low payroll team, do they have to deal now and kind of, you know, give up on next year? Do you think if you're the Rays... And you know that fans aren't coming no matter what. Yeah, right. Does it is it tempting to 
to just go ahead and punt 2015 too, just because there's just so little incentive for you not to do otherwise. I mean, I know it's more fun to win than mm-hmm. to lose. Um, and so maybe that's all the incentive it takes is that they just don't like these guys don't want to be watching a bad team mm-hmm. every day, especially having, you know, established for five, you know, six, seven years that they can be competitive every year. Um, I mean, it just, it, it feels like eventually they have to, to rebuild, right? Eventually they're going to have to do it, aren't they? Yeah. They can't do, they well, can't do this forever, can they? <laughs> they've been doing the, the on-the-fly rebuild for years, just just trading guys who are approaching free agency, patching in new guys who are coming up, and they've they've done that with, with Jennings and, and with Myers and all of these guys year after year. They've added someone, but... Um, and and in recent years with the pitchers and Cobb and Archer, there's just always another guy there. But right now there isn't really another guy there. So yeah, you'd you'd think so. I don't know whether if you're the Rays and you and you know that you're not gonna draw no matter what you do, then maybe maybe winning is just all that matters. Winning is at, at least to to the people in say the baseball operations department. They they know that when they win and they make the playoffs, there's there's very little attendance boost and revenue boost. So so they're just in it for for the winning, I guess. To suffer through a losing season would be especially depressing, right? Because you, I mean, what do you have to to look forward to then? Yeah, that's a that's actually an interesting point. That they that huh yeah, that's true, right? I mean, every other team is basically working. Uh, for a business, and mm-hmm. the Rays are working for, I guess it's a business, but it's more of like it's I don't like know, staying alive. <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> it's like well, it's yeah, it's somewhere between staying alive and like an art project, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like nobody's really watching. Like it's almost like you're like it's the difference between writing before you have like a publisher and a job and an audience and and like it's just basically going into the desk drawer and Mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want and you can be free and it doesn't matter if you accidentally say something offensive because nobody's reading it and then (laughs) and then you you get a job writing and like there's like three layers of editors checking over everything and you have to be careful about how something's going to be received Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so the rays don't have to do that (laughs) necessarily Mm -hmm. uh because nobody's there to to watch them Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, right. It's like right. I always felt that way with at A's games too, where like there's just so there's so few amenities in the park that the club that the fans are only there to see a team win. And mm-hmm. if the team wins, it's an amazing experience, and you get your money's worth. And if the team loses, you go home completely empty. Like you just get nothing. You get an empty mm-hmm. bucket. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what it's like to work for the Rays too. And the Rays came into this year talking about how much they had spent and. Uh, I think it was Friedman, maybe Sternberg said something about how they had overcommitted. They had spent more than they wanted to or that they comfortably could. And of course, you never you never know exactly how open teams are being about their finances. But but to keep price instead of trading him, the payroll went up to about seventy seven million, which is still still one of the the lower totals, but up from about sixty two the year before that. So, so they kind of went all in, at least as as much as the Rays ever do this year, and it it's worked out worse than anyone could have expected it to. Everything has sort of gone wrong. So I don't know what financial ramifications that has. Whether the fact that they went in went all in this year means that they 
they can't do it next year, um, and maybe they have to to deal some guys. I don't know. They don't have much of a track record for really for for making midseason trades because they've kind of done all of their dealing in the off season and they haven't been a seller really. Um, so we haven't we haven't seen them dump and we haven't seen them make a a big blockbuster to to add someone for the stretch run either. So. It'll be interesting to see whether they deviate from that or whether they they wait until the winter and try to try to deal guys then. The Casman trade that was probably the last mm. the last big one. Uh huh. Yeah. So, do you still have the Cots page in front of you? Yes. So, who's getting traded? <laughs> um. Well, price prices is, is clearly, I think the best candidate i suppose um the indians are drawing 3500 fewer fans per game than the rays i guess that's uh-huh. probably weather right early weather april weather yeah maybe maybe that's something to do with it yeah um who else i mean uh i don't know there there are other guys who are free agents or i mean balfour has has next to no value now it seems like um Joyce, I mean, I, I guess they could they could deal Joyce. I don't I don't know that he's going to bring back a huge return. Obviously, Molina's not going to bring much now. And then there's Sean Rodriguez, and I guess um, Sobrist is Sobrist. A, when is Sobrist a free agent? Um, Sobrist, I think, is a free agent after next year. So that's that's someone who could who could bring a bring something back probably, even though he maybe seems to be on the downslope, but uh, I don't know. I mean, they need to, they would need to make a, a price trade that would be equivalent to the Shields trade, right? And get, get someone, someone significant back. And maybe you can, maybe you can make the case then that, that the Rays held on too long instead of dealing him last winter. Yeah, that fit, man. Well, it's mm. not his whole fit because he's allowing home runs, but that strike out the walk rate is insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Record setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got he's got room before he loses the record. Like he could walk, <laughs> like he could come out and just intentionally walk the bases loaded. I think for fun <laughs> and still be on pace. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, good. Good for them. Mm. You know That's what they so should good. do? You know what they should do? What? Banana and mayonnaise. <laughs> Like they, every every nine or ten games. Well, I they know, did. They, they did the thing today. Yes, they did the, the invite Shopping a, a Seminole medicine man, and yeah. and it rained outside the stadium, which was, I guess, kind of what he was trying to do. But they didn't win. So, <laughs> if you are gonna be, if you are gonna do a rain dance, Florida's <laughs> the place to do it. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's like that's like being a uh, slap hitting shortstop playing in Coors Field. <laughs> yeah. Place to go with the park factor on the rain man on the rain dancer mm-hmm. anyway all right so that's that please send us emails for tomorrow's show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and please support our sponsor baseball reference by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code bp to subscribe to the play index and get the discounted price of 30 dollars on a one-year subscription we'll be back tomorrow <laughs>